Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Hey friends, we're taking a little break for the holidays, but we wanted to revisit one of our very favorite rom-com rewatches, You've Got Mail. Oh, one of my favorite rom-coms, one of my favorite rewatches. It's got everything you could want. New York at Christmas time, cozy bookstores, and of course, true love. We'll be back next week with a brand new rom-com rewatch and a bonus episode covering Gary, our dear Golden Bachelor's live wedding. Happy holidays. Thanks. I don't need help. Just watch me love myself. That's all I want. Got what I want. That's all I want. I'm not sorry. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about the holiday classics that make our hearts go pitter-patter. Just like bouquets of sharpened pencils do. Oh, I school mean. supplies, the best. Before we get into our first episode in our month-long holiday romance series, we want to remind everyone that we do more written and podcast content over on our Substack, Rich Text, including more slightly goofier holiday romance content. So check it out. Yeah, this month we're discussing really stupid made-for-TV rom-coms over on Rich Text. You can find that at claireandemma.substack.com. And now back to the task at hand, discussing Nora Ephron's You've Got Mail. Truly a perfect movie, in my humble opinion. And to do that today, we have a very special guest with us, Betch's co-founder and morning announcements host, Sammy Sage. Hello. Thanks for joining us, Sammy. I mean, thank you for this honor of allowing me to discuss not only my favorite holiday movie, not only my favorite rom-com, but possibly my favorite movie ever. Um, I mean, it's in the top five for sure. Like, Yeah, at least three for me. It's got to uh, be in at least three for me. I, Yeah, it, it just, it gets better with age. Um, and I just absolutely love it. So thank you for having me. I feel like you already answered our first question, which was, <laughs> why did you choose this movie? And now it's like, how could you not choose this movie? 
Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, but why do I love this movie? I yeah. mean, it's there's just endless reasons. The number one reason being that, like, I wanted to be Kathleen Kelly when I was growing <laughs> up. Like, I loved books. Like, I like she was my, like, I wanted to be Matilda as a child. I wanted to be <laughs> Kathleen Kelly as a grown-up. That tracks. And, and I mean, I wasn't thinking this way when I was first watching this movie, but um, I feel like she provided almost like a type of um, like female adult heroine that, I don't know, wasn't like a Kardashianified type of uh, role model. And I just like really liked her. I've always just been kind of like into... Uh, you know, like the Nancy Myers, even before it was cool and like the zeitgeist. Like I like when I was a like loser in high school, like <laughs> you've got mail and it's complicated. Like Meryl Streep, like these women are my true idols. Yeah, not the Nancy Myers, Nora Ephron Van Venn diagram was your vibe, is what you're saying. Yes, before people were like, I'm a coastal grandmother. It's like, no, I am a coastal grandmother. My yeah. friends joke that I'm that my mother and I are like big and little Edie from Grey Gardens. Like, you really, you know, it's, it, you know, I, so, so when that started becoming like people's identity, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. Now I got to get a new one. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh man, I really oh, thought I had the coastal, cornered the market on this. The coastal and... grandmother aesthetic is like playing stadiums now. And you're like, come on. Like no one right? cared about their early stuff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You were all watching The Hills, which I've never watched. Secret. Same. Um, and I okay, and and th- and I was like, yeah, I really gotta like work on my Diane Keaton future. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> Yeah. So that's okay. where I am. I love this. I love this. I feel like uh Nora Ephron's work and, and Kathleen Kelly as a character were also very formative for me. This movie came out in 1998. Uh, it was directed and written by Nora Ephron, who she co-wrote with her the screenplay with her sister Delia Ephron. And of course, it stars Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. I mean, it just checks like every 90s peak rom-com. It was peak America, too. Like, yeah, just... <laughs> Uh, well, yes, we will absolutely get to the political, the socio-political context of this movie because I actually think that that's really, really key to the worldview that we see in it. But before we get into that, we did want to take a little historical deep dive or not deep dive, a little <laughs> historical shallow dive. Yeah, a splash. A snorkel. Yeah, a splash. <laughs> a snorkel. A snorkel. snorkel. <laughs> uh, into the source material for this movie. It is based on the 1940 romantic comedy, The Shop Around the Corner, which itself was based on a Hungarian play called Parfumery by Miklos Laszlo. Yeah. Interesting. I had been hearing this for years, but I'd actually never seen The Shop Around the Corner until we decided to do this movie. And then I was like, oh no, now I have to spend Friday morning watching The Shop Around the Corner (laughs) And just, like, soaking it all in. And it's an incredible movie. And it is wild to see how much of You've Got Mail actually is drawn from it and how much it's then, like, stitched together with Nora Ephron's really singular voice and point of view and, like, the New York City setting. Um, But a lot of the plot is really directly drawn from The Shop Around the Corner, which is set in Budapest. So kind of a different 
Seven. Budapeshwar or everyone just speaks English with an American accent. Some of them speak it with British accents. <laughs> Fair. Yes. Okay. Correct. <laughs> what was the like method of communication? Because I feel like so central to the movie is that these two people didn't kn- could yeah. see each other in their correspondence. So, like how well, did that They are corresponding. They are corresponding in letters via a P.O. box. One of them responded to an ad. This is what people had okay. before the internet. You would post a classified ad being like, I would like to correspond with a young gentleman. And then here's the, my P.O. box. And then young gentleman could just send you letters. It was, was like putting her out of business in that too. So the, the setup is a little bit different. So Shop Around the Corner is, is in reference to the shop where they both work as sales clerks. They both work for... Uh, like a leather goods store called Modicek and Company. Um, the two characters are Mr. Kralik, played by James Stewart, and Clara Novak, played by Margaret Sullivan. He's like the most experienced sales clerk. She joins the shop newly at the beginning of the movie. They immediately like butt heads. They are always sniping at each other and antagonizing each other. And they just He's like the experienced other. one, and she's the young upstart who's like messing up his vision for the store. I feel like that plot exists in like a different movie, but it's not coming to mind what it is. Where like they this, start as this source material like has truly <laughs> has truly inspired a lot. Like there's also a Broadway show, She Loves Me, which is also based on Shop Around the Corner. Like this story also, has like legs. I'm sorry, Enemies to Lovers is like the classic, classic trope. True. Yeah. Right, um, right. That's a good point. But <laughs> in this case. Mr. Kralik has, meanwhile, been developing this, like, epistolary romance with this young woman whose ad he responded to. And they do eventually plan to meet up. They have the entire scene where Mr. Kralik, like, has his friend look through the window. Literally the same scene. The same scene. scene. And his friend is like, oh, uh, she looks an awful lot like Miss Novak. If you don't like Miss Novak, I don't think you're going to like her because it is her. And so he learns that it is this rival sales clerk who is the woman he's been corresponding with and he stands her up and (laughs) except he does he stands her up but he does just like in the movie you've got mail he goes in and antagonizes her a little bit and she gives him that barb he's like you, if you really knew me better, you, there is a lot you you might learn about me. And she says, I really wouldn't care to scratch your surface, Mr. Kralik, because I know exactly what I'd find. Instead of a heart, a handbag. Instead of a soul, a suitcase. And instead of an intellect, a cigarette lighter, which doesn't work. <laughs> he then calls her an old maid. <laughs> the ultimate insult. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just to speak about um, that scene in You've Got Mail. So, I mean... Obviously, central to You've Got Mail is the Upper West Side. And it was ideal. I It inspired me to live there, ultimately. That Starbucks was like my Starbucks, the one that they <laughs> that he walks into. And um, I actually went on a really bad date at that cafe. Cafe Lala? Stood up. Yes. <laughs> and it, um, it doesn't, it's like way more brightly lit inside, I will say. In, in real life, yeah, it West doesn't have that mood mood doesn't lighting. Doesn't have the mood lighting that, yeah, it was not. I was like, what's happening here? Why am I sitting in like a '90s ice, a '70s ice cream shop? 
and not this enchanting cafe. Your mother oh was goodness. enchanting. I can't believe anyway. that that enchanting. setting didn't lead to a good date because in the movie, it, it really was, it went perfectly. Well, we did have a second. <laughs> was that our second date? No, that was our second date. That was, I don't remember. Whatever. It's where Doesn't things matter. ended. It's where things yeah. ended. Yeah. But no, that was a, anyone can go visit it, you know, on the Upper West Side, 83rd. See, off of this Broadway? is a New York This is the beauty of living in New York. You're just living among film history. Yeah. You know? Things are always that changing. Starbucks. Except for it's that still. Starbucks and Cafe Lalo. <laughs> they will never go away. Please. Please. So at this point in Shop Around the Corner, she like has a sort of nervous breakdown because she was stood up. And then Mr. Modicek, the owner of the leather goods store, has a nervous breakdown because he discovers that his wife is cheating on him with one of his other sales clerks. And so he makes Mr. Krolik the manager of the store, a big promotion. And Mr. Krolik kind of helps Ms. Novak recover. He's a, a sensitive boss. He's like, you rest all you need. And they start to sort of become better friends. On Christmas Eve, they have their biggest profits ever. It's a wonderful holiday season. And they have arranged to meet again via letter. But before they leave the store... They have this conversation where they essentially disclose that, like, they have both been interested in each other. And she says she antagonized him because she was interested in him. And she was sort of ineptly flirting with him. And then he reveals that he is actually her mystery friend. And they embrace and kiss. And that's the end of the movie. A Christmas Eve miracle. But it really does take a lot of the same beats as you've got mail and even some of the dialogue Nora Ephron takes some of the most those most iconic lines and and updates them so effectively and so I felt like that was really cool context to learn about this movie I think we should now move on to another movie event. summary the, the main, main movie event. Summary. <laughs> it is 1998 bookstore superstore magnet Joe Fox and independent bookshop owner Kathleen Kelly fall in love via the anonymity of the internet because they are sending each other emails without any personal details after meeting in a chat room, so quaint, with only their screen names. He is NY152, and she is Shop Girl, and they are both blissfully unaware that he is actively trying to put her beloved children's bookshop that she inherited from her mother and that she was planning to pass on to her daughter uh, out of business. The shop around the corner. The which shop was around the, the corner. corner. The, yeah, and the, the shop the, around the corner. The shop around the corner. Nora Ephron knows her homages. Shop <laughs> around the corner is a great name for a bookstore. It actually it really is. is. And I want to open one one day. Maybe this is, we're going to come out of this small business owners. We're in a much better <laughs> economy for it now, probably, because after Amazon took out all the big box bookstores, they exactly. left this void for in-person book shopping that's been filled by indie bookstores. You know what this, what they, what they really dropped the ball on, that they could have done a sequel where they are still in love, but Jeff Bezos puts them both yes. out of business. Yes. Yes. Meg Ryan has actually talked about this. She's like, <laughs> oh, this is what it would be. Yeah. Like, they, this has been floated. I oh, think okay. missed yeah, opportunity, okay. honestly. Huge. Huge. But um, honestly, like the, uh, like the capitalist subplot, I found to be very interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, like, it, that was, uh, I don't know, it just made it. And also, like, the, the hope of the early internet as a theme. Oh, yeah. 
You're like hitting all of our bulleted theme points that are coming yeah, out. I love this. This is why I love to have have <laughs> conversations with you, Sammy, because you just anticipate everything that we want to talk about. I'm like a zeitgeist analyst for yeah. You're hitting all the points. I, I'm so excited. So let's let's try to do a quick run through of the movie for those okay. who haven't recently seen it on cable, which I think I've caught 80% of the movie <laughs> at a time on cable, like once a year for the past um, t- decade. Claire, please, please take the lead on this. Run us, run us through. And yes, please feel free to interject at any point with any other dates that you've been on at these locations or other <laughs> insights. Um, so <laughs> I actually haven't spent much time on the Upper West Side. So this is like out of my New York oh my, neighborhood. You, you gotta go on a You've Got Mail like personal I really, tour. I didn't realize all these places were still open. Like it, I, I mean, it's literally, well, it's also like you see that there's no shop around the corner, but you see the setting of like where they are walking to work yeah. and it looks exactly the same. Like I lived on Amsterdam and it looks like right there. Oh man. It's lovely. Yeah. My walks to work were just It like really that. is lovely up there. So the movie opens with this truly like web 1.0 animation <laughs> of like a mouse, like navigating a computer through animated New York City scapes. And I was like, oh, this is really bringing me back there. I like, love it. I just got dial up on my dad's computer in the den. And then we meet Kathleen Kelly, uh, Meg Ryan and a swoopy little pixie cut. She is waiting for her boyfriend, Frank, who's sort of a socialist, anarchist, New York Observer columnist who hates computers, to leave for work, which is, I guess, typewriting columns about how much he loves typewriters so that she can check her AOL inbox. And there's someone else who's doing the same thing, Joe Fox, Tom Hanks, who is waiting for his extremely hyper girlfriend, Patricia, to stop like listing people that she hates so that she can go to work (laughs) and he can check his AOL inbox. I should probably say that Frank is played by Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. And Patricia is played by... Parker, Parker Posey. Posey. A classic incredible, all-star cast. Incredible cast. Oh, my God. 10 out of 10. And the hits just keep coming. Um, they, it is implied, are sending each other messages that they don't want their partners to know about. They cross paths as they both walk to work. She's opening her children's bookstore, shop around the corner. He is checking on the construction of a mega bookstore down the street, Fox Books. And in his conversation with his deputy, played by Dave Chappelle... <laughs> Joe lays unexpected, out. <laughs> unexpected role for Dave Chappelle, but he, you know what? He nails it. And they kind of lay out the premise of like the whole movie in very bald terms in this scene. They're like, the neighborhood is, the neighborhood is going to hate us because we're a big, bad chain store that's out to destroy everything we hold dear. But we're going to seduce everyone with our square footage and our armchairs and our discounts and our legal addictive stimulants, and they're going to come around in the end. And in the meantime, we'll just put up a big sign, coming soon, a Fox Book Superstore and the end of civilization as you know it. So, like, the thesis statement is just, like, in neon here. It's, like, the clash between, like, the nostalgic Upper West Side culture that's so protective of their small businesses and progress. Innovation. (laughs) The like overt setup of the plot in such obvious terms is also, I feel like, peak 90s, where like they never, you know, now, nowadays you got to like kind of figure out any movie that's not on the Hallmark channel. Like you were like looking for clues, (laughs) (laughs) trying to like, you got to pay attention. Back in the day, they were like, 
like we are enemies and now we will become friends. And that was like the, it was all stated. What happened to the art of like a movie that is good and well-made, but that doesn't need to be deciphered with like Reddit threads? You You know what? You know what went in that category? Fire Island. Fire Island nailed that. Yeah. Um, like just solid. Yeah. You know, yeah. We know I what this Fire is Island. about, but it's well made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's in that tradition. So meanwhile, Kathleen has headed off to her her day at, at her store. And and all the while the two of them are exchanging these messages, which I think are where Nora Ephron gets to just tuck in all of her little witticisms about New Yorkers. Like, she really is like an Oscar Wilde or like a Dorothy Parker-style writer where she just has these little observations that are funny and charming that she just wants to, like, give to other people to say. And these messages are just the perfect medium for that. It's so wonderful. And there's so much of Nora Ephron and also Delia Ephron, like, in this script. And, like, if you read any of her essays or her early journalism, you can feel her voice translating from that lens into movie magic. And it's just, it adds so much. It's like such a great argument, like for just a really sharp writer to be writing a screenplay. Like, yes, you have plot, you have all of these devices that need to be deployed, but there are just some lines that like stick with you. Like, what are some of those lines for you? The bouquet is of sharpened he pencils. He wants to send her bouquet of freshly sharpened pencils because the fall yeah. makes makes him want to buy school supplies. But also when he does that little riff about Starbucks and how oh my God, it allows the sense of identity. people who can't make choices yes. the opportunity yes. to get a defining sense of self by making like six different choices about their coffee. And they're like, that's who I am. And I was like, Nora and Delia just like wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, they just had some thoughts about Starbucks and I wanted them to. Well, I feel like part of the reason why this is so, so good, like why it is so peak for them is because like this is her stomping grounds. Right. Like no one can write anything as well as they can write what they know. And not only is she like in her genre and like writing her type of heroine, like she's kind of writing her own type of person in the setting that they like inhabit. And that Upper West Side, I mean, Part of it is the Upper West Side culture is like so specific. Like you have Frank Navasky is like this, uh, like the epitome of like the New Yorker reading, Zabar's eating, like guy who you know. I I don't I don't. What else? Where else? Who wrote for the Observer before Jared Kushner? Right. Like it's just such a it's just such like a cozy identity. I can't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It is so cozy. And coziness is like a big part of You've Got Mail for me. Um, It's hard for me to in any way see the appeal of Joe and the non-cozy intruders, but that is the the journey of this movie. (laughs) Um, I also think it's interesting how much of Nora and Delia's voice is in that dialogue because it's from both of them. It's like the space where they Mm -hmm. both meet is the space where they have like the same personality. That is Nora and Delia's personality, and that's where they find their common ground. They finally cross paths in person (laughs) without realizing it, because he's having a day out with his aunt and brother, who are both small children. (laughs) He takes them in to shop around the corner, 
and ends up realizing that he is talking to the very beautiful owner of the store he's about to drive out of business. And so he has to like desperately like pay with cash to get out of the store without revealing who he is while his little brother is going like F-O-X, Fox. Like you could spell Fox. <laughs> you can spell I Fox and you spell cat. F-O-F-O-X. And we are a modern family. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> we we're gonna get into their families because I have some thoughts. <laughs> As the Christmas season comes around, action really picks up. Fox Books opens. It immediately, like within the first week, begins to decimate the little shop, uh, the shop around the corner sales numbers. In the midst of this, Kathleen is trying to keep her optimism. She's like, we're going to be the flower district of books. Because <laughs> that's what you want is all the bookstores to be on the same street. And... <laughs> She runs into Joe at, like, a publishing holiday party of some kind. His He works in books. His girlfriend is a publisher. She obviously works in, in books, and her, her boyfriend is a writer. So they're obviously they're all at this, like, publishing party where she learns that she has been talking to the enemy this whole time and confronts him at the buffet where he is taking all of the caviar garnish off of a dish that looks sort of like an egg salad mold. (laughs) Yes, it's so 90s. This this was literally the best. This is my favorite line maybe ever. We actually have mugs that say this in the (laughs) Betch's office. That caviar is a garnish. Is a garnish. And to be, here's the thing. It's just hitting me upon this rewatch that that was like a billionaire taking the whole pie kind of thing. I was so distracted by like the humor of the line to realize that it was a, (laughs) it was a message about hoarding money. Oh my God. You're only supposed to have a little bit just to sweeten your plate. You're not supposed to take it all for yourself. Right. And of course, when she points this out, he just like very theatrically takes all of it. I also read that Nora Ephron just really likes the word or liked the word garnish and had been (laughs) desperately wanting to put it into a movie. And so that this line was also just inspired by her like wanting to get the word garnish in a movie. And she fucking nailed it. I <laughs> mean, it's an iconic it. line. It's the, best also, line. it's the best line ever. <laughs> I had never noticed until my second rewatch for this taping that then Kathleen goes over and takes a bunch of the caviar off his plate and puts it on hers. She's like, no, some of that is mine. You can't have it all. <laughs> and she basically she accuses him of coming to see her store to spy on his competition. And he ends up saying some nasty things to her. He calls her at bookstore so inconsequential yet so full of its own virtue that, of course, he had to just rush over, uh, you know, for fear that they would put him out of business. And she's left sort of tongue-tied and humiliated as he sort of, like, assaults her with these insults. But then later, in a more reflective mood, he gets on his old AOL dial-up And confesses to Shop Girl that he feels really bad that he was so rude to someone. Like, you say these things in the moment, and then, you know, it doesn't feel so good later. And she's like, oh, I'm jealous because I just get tongue-tied. I can't think of vicious retorts at all. And this is how they start to become confidants to each other about their conflict with each other. (laughs) 
Go to the mattresses. <laughs> go yes. to the mattresses. It's from The Godfather. I love how he never picks up on any of the reasons that she might be his actual. Like, he literally is like, you got to go to the mattresses. And then the next day, she's leading, like, pickets outside his store. And he's never like, <laughs> oh, I'm, that timing is really suspicious. But no, he didn't realize it yet. Oh, up yeah, to he had no he had no like suspicion that the person named Shop Girl, who like s- conveniently started protesting a store at that exact moment after she got that advice, he never like put that together. Yeah, but because he loves Shop Girl and he hates Kathleen, right? How so. could they be the same person? No, I think I think that like it, she would have been. She was already mad because they had already had that confrontation. So. And also, didn't she try to go on like a press tour? I don't know if this had yes. happened. After, yeah. after, oh, he after, after, after he tells after her, after he tells her to go to she's the mattresses. She's inspired by this. She's like airboxing. She's yeah, like, I've got to right. go to the mattresses. <laughs> Frank has been wanting to write a piece about Shop Around the Corner, or at least I mean, has he'll been. take any any excuse. He's like, just <laughs> give me something to latch my like luddite yeah. vibe onto. Yeah, this is it. It's perfect. I'm writing a polemic. And then he gets to go on local TV on a talk show where a local news host is very impressed with his ideas about VCRs and the shop around the corner. And this is a Chekhov's gun, of course. Also, Kathleen goes on TV and accuses Joe of comparing the books that he sells to jugs of olive oil. In the same package, Joe is shown saying only, I sell cheap books, sue me. (laughs) (laughs) it looks very bad for fox books it looks very good for shop around the corner joe and his dad and his grandfather are sweating but it makes no difference the shop around the corner sales do not improve it's almost like you can just like get a bunch of positive media attention and people be like yeah but then they don't like really care or want to help you (laughs) because they want cheap books yeah it's like yeah i want to save the shop around the corner but i am going to save three dollars by going to fox books and stuff i was like really no difference at all well also they don't (laughs) have every book like that's the inherent thing is that like this is a small bookstore for mostly children children only and they were making enough to live like if you're gonna buy children's books shop around the corner it's right there you know i I kind of refuse to believe i kind of refuse to believe that it happened that quickly but like i know they wanted to keep it you know tight for the christmas season so i kind of get (laughs) that it would have had to be so catastrophic that within like two months they were closing. <laughs> they have to close. Yeah. It I don't did, think it would have been that yeah. fast. No, I think it would have been a slower burn in in reality. Yeah. Like years. It's like we're here yeah. in the Upper West Side and everyone is so sentimental, but they immediately just like sprint to Fox Books. They're like, I'm never <laughs> buying anything from Shop Around the Corner ever again. They're going to be making zero dollars in sales by the end of this week. So Joe has proposed meeting Kathleen finally agrees, and at Cafe Lalo, she is waiting with a cup of tea and a rose in her copy of Pride and Prejudice, because as she has told NY152, she reads it every year, and every year she's just like, oh, what if they don't end up together? And I'm like, okay, well, you do know. Um, (laughs) But she just gets so caught up in it, and Joe tried to read it and apparently found it terrible because we see a sequence of him being like like tossing it away men am i right and he's so nervous about meeting his perfect woman that he has his deputy kevin uh dave chappelle 
look through the window where he sees. Don't worry, guys. She's a very pretty woman. She's (laughs) not ugly, which would be horrifying. Joe practically has like an orgasm because he's so he's like screaming and shaking the fence. He's like, she's pretty. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, she is a specific pretty woman that he doesn't like very much, which is Kathleen Kelly. Uh, It's so it is really the conversations where they um, were joking about before they each knew what each other like looked like the amount that they sort of would reflect on like maybe he's in jail maybe he's <laughs> like 152 pockmarks on his you know it's like yeah. the ways that they were kind of like throwing out what would concern them about each other was so was such like a funny also early internet thing before you could like Google somebody and easily find this information. Right. Before we were all just like surveilling each other constantly and before anonymity felt like super threatening. Yeah. 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 uh, (laughs) They were just like, oh, how charming. Hopefully. And hopefully she's hot. Who among us has not fallen in love with a guy at this point? And then right before meeting them, absolutely panicked because it hadn't occurred to us that we might not be attracted to them. (laughs) Me, I did that um, at least twice (laughs) in my life. (laughs) And he's disappointed. He resolves to stand her up, but then he circles back. You can't resist going in, pretending it's just an accidental meeting, and just being a dick to her because he feels like it, I guess. And again, this is basically the same scene that we see in shop around the corner including an updated their updated barbs he says i think you'd discover a lot of things about me if you really knew me and she retorts if i really knew you i know what i'd find instead of a brain a cash register instead of a heart a bottom line zing zing he also says that this is a perfect blend of poetry and meanness (laughs) <laughs> which is also what Jimmy Stewart says in Shop Around the Corner. That is great. I mean, it is so true. good. Also, she's sort of adorable, even as she's doing that. She's like, oh, my gosh, I guess. Thank you. I've had such a breakthrough. I was finally able to be mean to someone when I wanted <laughs> yeah. to. And that's just awesome. <laughs> and she waits and waits. He finally leaves her alone. And her mystery man never arrives. So, you know, she's hurt. She emails him to express how foolish she felt and how also how bad she felt because she ran into someone that she didn't care for while she was waiting for him. And she said something very cruel. And she's like, yeah, it actually does feel shitty. And you're right. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to yeah. do that. She says, like, I can't imagine that I, I'm anything I say, say matters to this man. But like, what if it did? Yeah. To him, I'm merely a bug to be crushed. <laughs> <laughs> And he's uh, he's conflicted at this. He's He had meant to kind of leave it, clearly. Because, like, what's he going to, like, get with Kathleen Kelly? But this is pulling him back in. So he responds with a, just a vague apology that's like, sorry, I couldn't be there. One day all will be revealed. And then he assures her, like, I'm sure whatever cruel thing you said, it was definitely deserved. And don't lose any sleep over it. At this point, point we're going to take a quick break we'll be back with the rest of the summary of you've got mail can you keep up i like love it okay 
So you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I, I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party, can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. I am so glad that it's finally warming up. And it also means that I just want to have fun this summer and I don't want to be worrying about meal prep. And luckily, I can do something about that with Factor, especially because they have so many meal options like Protein Plus, Keto, Vegetarian, something for every diet. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Make your whole day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. I love having a few factor meals just sitting in my fridge, especially because I work from home. It's so nice to finish up a taping and not have to figure out what to cook myself. Just look in my fridge and be like, oh, in two minutes, I can be eating mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice or tomato basil chicken risotto or Santa Fe style green chili beef skillet. And they always have a nice like vegetable side. It feels well balanced. I feel full after and it's not a headache at all. Head to factormeals.com slash LTSI 50 and use code LTSI 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code LTSI 50 at factormeals.com slash LTSI 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer 
running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI. And we are back. Kathleen finally decides she has to close her store. It's been like a month. Because... She's been making apparently zero dollars since Fox Books Superstore opened. Um, <laughs> Hard to believe she can't get a line of credit. Like this business has been existing for quite a long time. Yeah. But whatever. Well, they, also, they were just like, I don't want to be like a cold-hearted Grinch, but she has three seemingly full-time employees to work in like a 400 square foot store. And right. like there's never any talk of downsizing. <laughs> None. And also, like, she's already living in a very nice townhouse, right? A brown, what, what is she living it's in? A, it's an apartment it's in, an like, apartment. a nice it's an apartment brownstone. Yeah. Yeah. It's an apartment brownstone. in a brownstone. But it's, like, okay, a nice, well, it's, like, a nice, like, well, it was very nice. nice. One bedroom. <laughs> one bedroom. I'm not suggesting she, she move out of that, but, like, I'm saying she must have been doing decently. I I, I don't think she was, like, you know, needing every last dollar in order to stay in business an additional month. So whatever. They I would obviously over-dramatize this. This to me always yes. read as like she just stepped into her mother's life, right? Like in my mind, I was like, she got this apartment from her mother. She got the store from her mother. Like a few decades ago, New York was a very different place. You could buy this apartment for 15 bucks and like <laughs> yeah. just like live right. the rest of your life in yeah. it. Yeah. And uh at the same time, like, it's it's probably the case that she could have done more, but we're also meant to understand that maybe Kathleen doesn't want to give up her apartment for her store. She doesn't want to oh, maybe go into huge debt it. for her store. No, I'm not suggesting that she do those things because honestly, like, I don't not even that she could sell the store to somebody, you know, it's just, yeah, none of it really makes sense from a business standpoint. <laughs> I she would just see yeah. this whole thing. My point about her apartment yeah. being nice was that like, it just showed that she was doing, pre- the business was doing pretty well already. So it's yeah. just hard to believe they didn't have some cash runway. Just, I just, it didn't make any sense. Well, as they a spent small it all business, on her apartment and her large staff. I look, look, it's just as a small business, it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. really track. Look, it's Steve always- Zahn requires a hefty salary. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> What's he going to buy all that close? clam sauce with? <laughs> so after deciding to close the store again, seemed to be done pretty quickly. I mean, I truly do relate to Kathleen Kelly because if I had a small business and any adversity came up, I'd be like, okay, I guess. <laughs> I'm just not going to think about it anymore. It's done. It's closed. (laughs) Bye. Um, I'm going to write a book for children now. And she had so much pride in the store, (laughs) but okay, whatever. Anyway, keep going. We'll get in more into that later. I promise. So after closing the store, she goes to the movies with Frank and gets in a huge fight with him because her employee slash surrogate mother, Birdie, 
once fell in love with Generalissimo Franco, a fascist dictator, <laughs> and also she didn't vote in the last mayoral election, so she doesn't care enough about politics. And this leads to them having a very mutual breakup. Oh, I, yes. I <laughs> I also just have to say that this, this uh, breakup was so late 90s kind of glowy view of politics and America that you're just like, yeah, not like such, you could just totally forget to vote. And like now if someone was like, yeah, I went to get a manicure and I yeah, forgot to vote. I'd be I, like, I don't think I, I can have you to my dinner party. Yeah. Forgot to vote. I, I knew Trump was running, but like, I just, I forgot. Like, I would lose my mind now. <laughs> you also wouldn't forget because every single person is posting it on Instagram story for right. weeks before. So you would not just forget. So that's like, just yeah. it wouldn't even work now. Yeah, the way that information is transmitted is so different. And the way that I think politics dominate, like are just going, you're going to be assaulted with political rhetoric in some capacity through so many different channels now. Well, you know, one might argue that 1998 and the Monica Lewinsky scandal was the beginning of politics dominating every sphere of life. So that yeah. was probably the, probably the last time you could plausibly forget to vote. I mean, yeah, I know like people on the brink. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It hasn't gone away. But I think that like for the heroine of a movie like this to just sort of renounce politics in this way. Like, you might not broach politics in a movie, but to have the heroine be like, well, I just don't care about them that much, and I'm okay with with fascists, and, like, it's not a big deal. I don't think that we would count they just that anymore. They just wouldn't be, like, making those kind of jokes. Right. Like, it just, it came in a very different context, and it's, like, knowing Nora Ephron's politics, like, she is a person who was very well-informed and cared about things. And so, like, I think that, this is definitely meant to, like, suggest just simple incompatibility, like Frank's intense desire to, like, hold tight to his and, like, push his, like, version of morality and worldview so completely onto his partner and that that is just, like, no longer going to work for Kathleen. But I don't think we would see this kind of setup in a movie now because it would not feel the same. It would not yeah. feel cute. No, I also think that... um Kathleen was already, if you take the fact that she's like hiding her internet buddy from her boyfriend, <laughs> like, you know, she, she, I feel like their relationship was like not that deep, but you know, what's interesting is that like, you know, it was totally absent from her, from her calculation. The, all my friends are getting married. Everyone's getting married yeah. and I'm on a time yeah. clock. Like she didn't seem at all to be, but maybe that's another reason why I think it's so interesting. Cause like just that's a boring, explore that somewhere else. This is, you know, a whole other right. world. We are saved from that entire conversation, angst. which yeah. I love. But the, okay, with the generally Simo Franco thing, I thought that was like one of the funniest things. <laughs> and so once funny. I was old enough to actually know who that was, yeah. I even thought, I was like, this is hilarious that this is included in a script. Like, it's just as a plot point. <laughs> I mean, it's just so random and yeah. weird and Spain. funny. <laughs> yeah, he ran Spain. <laughs> he ran Spain. It wasn't meant to be. Uh, also, he reveals that he met someone else, which turns out to be the TV show host that he flirted with on air. Who's Sydney a Republican? Ann, who's maybe a Republican. Thank your. <laughs> Thank your. Thank oh. your. <laughs> and she's like touching her brow. <laughs> she's sweating. 
She's flirting with you and she is sweating. <laughs> Apparently, Nora and Delia Efron would jokingly describe the conceit of this movie as, can you fall in love with the Republican? <laughs> I mean, everyone's falling in love with Republicans. Frank is doing it. (laughs) Kathleen is clearly doing it. I think that, like, to me, the Frank and Sydney Ann thing just gives me shades of, like, the the James Carville and Marley Madeline thing. Like, public. That is what it was supposed to be like. Oh, yeah. That's so true. Yeah, that's because that was in the zeitgeist then, too. It's like, yeah, the politics, they're, they're so rough and tumble. But also there's love across the divide. And like, now there is no love across the divide. <laughs> no, but he couldn't be with Kathleen because she forgot to vote. So it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> that, was just, again, that was just It's all excuse. just like, it's all <laughs> they just, just like, weren't into yeah. each other. And it's Anymore. a beautiful thing, <laughs> yeah. which is one of Nora Ephron's touchstones. She loves a frictionless breakup. Uh, yeah. where it's just like, everyone's better off. We don't need to think too hard. We don't need to feel bad for anyone. Yeah. They're parting ways. It's gorgeous. It's okay that Kathleen has been emotionally cheating on this perfectly <laughs> nice socialist for the past, like, four months plus. It's fine, because he didn't love her. Yeah. So He loved Sydney Whatever. Ann, the Republican. And his typewriter. Uh, oh, my God, his typewriter collection, which is, isn't Tom Hanks also, like, obsessed with typewriters? Is he? Didn't he write, like, that. a whole collection of short stories about like inspired by his typewriters. I used to cover the books beat. So. Tom totally Hanks' is wholesome is. obsession with typewriters. Yes, yes. He's obsessed with typewriters. That's so, so cool. <laughs> such a wholesome guy obsession. Maybe that's where it like maybe that's where that particular like maybe that's where it took root quirk came thing from. came from. He was like, I wish I were playing the guy who got all these cool <laughs> typewriters. They seem pretty neat. <laughs> And meanwhile, Joe and Patricia also break up after they get stuck in an elevator together. And he suddenly realizes that she's very unpleasant, which has everyone's just never going around being like, if I ever get out of this elevator, I'm going to propose to the girl that I've loved forever. I'm going to tell her how I feel. And Patricia's just like, I get my eyes lasered. Oh, where's my that. gun? <laughs> She's so practical. <laughs> I love her. It what? really makes me think that I also what? should get my eyes lasered because like, yeah. you never know. In a pinch, you don't want to have to rely on your contacts. <laughs> Parker Posey commits so hard to this role and it is so delightful. Her role like basically makes no sense at all. Like, she is like this high power book editor who's an an idiot who like it seems like has never read and understood anything in her life, and also she like really knows that she's a she's terrible like a nepo person baby. and is not. She's, she's a, a nepo oh interesting. Baby. I always thought that the that the label was named after her. Well, the label Eden Books, the the publisher. Oh, I mean, my, I mean, I don't know, like literally the, my, my assumption is that she, that is like who she's supposed to be. Interesting. Like just someone who. Okay. I, I actually like that read. That's interesting. My, that never occurred to me, well, but my, I think it, it makes sense. But my other, which is why I like Joe's with her. But my question is then like, why does she even need a job? But I don't know. <laughs> to feel cool. Maybe she likes it. To feel she cool. likes going to like pen dinners. Yeah. Also, when she's just like, oh, you forgot that that you're the reason Kathleen Kelly needs a job. Like, you're so obtuse, so insensitive. Right? Who do you remind me, of? remind me of? It's someone. I don't know. It's me. Me. I was like, that's <laughs> not a real evil person. Laugh. Right? No she's like self-aware, so you kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, that's why she's delightful. She's terrible, <laughs> but like knows it and embraces it. Yeah. And so Joe immediately moves out. The Tic Tacs were the last straw. He goes to live on his family's boat, one of his family's several boats, 
along with his father, whose 15th wife has just left him for the nanny. We realized that his father is supposed to be a parallel to Mr. Matichuk, except that Mr. Matichuk is deeply impacted in Shop Around the Corner by the fact that his wife is cheating. And Tom Hanks' dad could not give a fuck. He's just like, that's how it happens. They move out, then you have to find a new person to give a bunch of money to until they die. And And Josie's his future. I mean, it must be hard for his dad because normally he moves on with the nanny. But in this case, Jillian took the nanny. So where is he going to source the next wife? It's challenging. Can't think of anywhere where a rich man meets a woman. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know where it is. It's really hard for a rich white man these days to get a date. I feel bad, but Especially he Especially in 1998. Like. How could. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I just have to meet a new person. That's the easy part. And Joe is like, oh, yeah, finding the single person in the world who fills your heart with joy. That's the easy part. And his father is like, I've never been with a single person who filled my heart with joy. Have you? And this is when Joe realizes that person exists for him. And it's Kathleen Kelly. And so he gets a bouquet of daisies, her favorite flowers, also my mother's favorite flowers, my late mother's. That was very, I I always find that part like very sweet, makes me cry. And he heads over to see her and she has a terrible cold, but he barges in, interrupts her rest, insists on staying after several invitations to leave and tells her that he wants to be her friend. And... She's in a compromised mental state because she's so sick. She's like, my head is fuzzy. Like, okay, like, I guess, I don't know. You can stay and talk about the guy that I'm hung up on from a chat room. She ends up confiding all about this internet relationship with him. She's like, it's so embarrassing. (laughs) We've never met. So embarrassing. But it's good because it creates psychological safety for him to be able to like you know, put the pieces together for them. It's important that he never take a risk. Exactly. She takes <laughs> yeah. the risks. Exactly. And so he's like, oh, okay, so I can still, I can still go for this. He's like, you should meet him. But on the other end, NY152 has to defer the big meetup because he doesn't want her to be disappointed that it's him, right? She hates him. And so he needs to make her also love Joe Fox before this important moment happens. So he uses this time to like stage run-ins with Kathleen at coffee shops, like become her confidant about the chat room guy and just basically become her new best friend. They're just like wandering through farmer's markets together and like sitting on benches and drinking coffees. It is truly just like the loveliest New York City coming out of a long winter feeling. It's also so, like, the combination between, like, city life and, like, the college campus. Like, this idea that, like, it's not just that you live in the city. It's such this this tiny little neighborhood where you're going to run into the same people all the time. It's this truly, like, walkable little community. And, like, my experience of New York has never been like that because, like, you're just constantly going Mm -hmm. across the city. But they kind of capture both of those my Romance. experience yeah. of that block was not like that, but um, okay. <laughs> Maybe I don't leave my apartment enough, but I did then. Uh, no, I used to. Um, you should Nora th- and Delia you should- insisted on having 
some of the same extras literally in the background for continuity so that it would feel like a neighborhood like yeah. they had such attention it does feel like to detail there are yeah. only 100 people who live in new york <laughs> in this conception of the city they're always running into each other and finally he the two the two chat room buddies plan a meeting in the park with his dog brinkley and before that meeting she and joe get lunch and then he walks her home and on that walk, he says to Kathleen that sometimes he wonders, what if he wasn't Fox Books and she wasn't shop around the corner? What if they had just met? He would have asked for her number. He wouldn't have been able to wait even a day before he called her up and asked her, you know, to go to a movie for as long as we both shall live. Which is kind of a wild declaration. Like, I don't know if I picked up on that the first few times I watched it, but watching it this week, I was like, wow, like... It's really He's intense, it and yet there. it just works so well because it's Tom Hanks. <laughs> Here's yeah. the thing. Yeah. If Tom Hanks wasn't Tom Hanks, and like in this movie, like Rich Fox books, like <laughs> Tom Hanks is the, has the power of being Tom Hanks. But if you met Tom Hanks, he'd just be a guy. And like, you know, you'd be happy <laughs> your friend was dating him, but you wouldn't be like, oh, my friend's adorable. I'm so jealous of this man. Like, it just... You know, well, that's I do exactly think, the power of Tom Hanks. I do exactly. think that. So here, I remember when we were recapping the first season of The Bachelor, and we did the first episode with Alyssa Mastromonaco for one of our live shows. And Alex Michelle, the first Bachelor, is sort of a Tom Hanks type. Yeah, like tall, just kind of like business looking dude in like a too big suit. Just, like, not super hot or anything or even very handsome. And we were just, like, making so much fun of the idea that this was the ideal Bachelor. And Alyssa was just like, no, but, like, he was. Like, that is, like, a hot guy at this time. Like, that. You're right. You're and right. And we were you like, right. oh, like, in our generational, like, disconnect, we didn't even realize that, like, at the turn of the millennium, Tom Hanks was, like, a hottie. <laughs> You're right. You are right. <laughs> he's that like the yuppie hottie. He's not like a young beefcake, but he's like tall. He has hair and he w it's goes wears a suit and goes to a job. It's like you got it <laughs> you all. You nailed it. You totally nailed it. <laughs> he's tall and has hair. That's definitely most of it. And he asks so her charming. how she could forgive the chat room guy for standing her up and not him for the tiny little thing of putting her out of business. <laughs> Oh, how I wish you would. She demurs, but is like tearing up. You can see that this, this confession like shook her because she's feeling something too. But she goes to get ready for her big date. She goes to the park. The spring flowers are all in bloom. And she first sees a golden retriever. She hears, Brinkley, Brinkley. And then around the corner comes Joe Fox. And she sees him. And Meg Ryan just does that perfect Meg Ryan, like, series of tiny facial expressions changing that convey her entire emotional journey yeah. because she gets very little dialogue in this scene. <laughs> so and Meg Ryan really had to rainbow. do some work. Yeah. Somewhere over somewhere the rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow. Oh, yeah. starts playing. And it is a beautiful cover of that song. And she says, I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. She's crying. They kiss zoom out Ugh. on the Upper West Side. Ugh. And that's the end. Perfection. Ugh. Ugh. 
They've I they've glossed it up a little bit from in Shop Around the Corner. The thing that happens before they kiss is that he pulls up his pants to show her that he isn't bow legged, and then they kiss. I think this was a little <laughs> more romantic in like the classic sense. Feels a little <laughs> <bit> more <laughs> sentimental. What does the bow legged have to do with it? It's it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Okay. She like well, was teasing him about being bow legged and he's like, I'm gonna show you that I'm not bow legged. And he pulls up his pants and the camera like pans down to his hairy ankles and his like sock suspenders. And then they're like, Well, and they like start making out. <laughs> Hot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they they like classed yeah. it up a little bit for for you've got mail. But let's talk about our lead couple. Yeah. Because Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, to me, just like are romantic comedies, especially Meg Ryan. She appears in so many of my favorite movies. And obviously, by the time You've Got Mail came out in 98, um, Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks had been paired together in two other movies, probably most notably Sleepless in Seattle, which is another Nora Ephron, just absolute fucking banger. (laughs) And... I mean, I think Ugh. a lot of it is like a the time that she peaked, and b that it's his like unthreatening good looks from the time, and yes. the fact that she also has this like cute, non like threatening vibe about her that just like reads as bubbly and you know almost like a pre Jennifer Aniston kind of, mm. and it's just really works with the genre very well. And yeah, yeah I mean, the writing and the cast just I feel like together. the um I didn't I I I saw this when I watched the original shop around the corner, but I was like they really are just sort of like prototypical film rom-com characters. Like they are the late 90s analogs of those of of Margaret Sullivan and James Stewart. Like the quirky perky blonde the like lanky, like kind of brusque man who's still somehow likable. And they're able to like embody that like push pull of like that antagonism that also contains its own chemistry. They're they're different, but they're drawn to each other. And I I think a lot of rom-coms like don't have that anymore. Like it's interesting to see how those like types sort of like carried through a long way through like the golden 90s age of rom-coms and then I do feel like they mm-hmm. started to go more for like can we get like the hottest people we can think of yes, to be I was going to say I feel like the kind of the what we think about as chemistry has sort of been replaced as just like if two hot people are on screen together then of course they're going to love each other because we don't have to explain it like they're both really hot right so what else do you need? And I think that that, like, there are, are so many, obviously, like, little plot points or things you can pick apart in this movie. But the overwhelming feeling you come away from is so, with it, is so powerful because these two sell it. The script works. Like, it's all kind of working in concert with each other. And the final product is just, like, so delightful. It's just exactly what you want from a rom-com. And I also think it helps that these two actors had a history with each other. They probably knew how the other one worked by that point. They likely had, a obviously, a friendship of some sort. Like, 
they had done, you know, several other movies together. And I think that probably also helps. Yeah. This, I also like was struck watching this by how much they like embody the sort of traditional gender dichotomy. (laughs) And like in this very like old school way, like she's the nurturing sunny woman. She runs a children's bookstore. Like she just radiates like warmth and positivity. He's cynical, ambitious, like sort of brusque on the outside, but deep down he just wants to like protect the right woman. Right. And it's fascinating to me that they're even like solely associated with male and female parents respect. Like she only has a mother and he only has a father and a grandfather. It's like they're just like cloned. <laughs> I have a these. lot of questions. What <laughs> happened to any of the women in the Fox family? Are they just like simply disposed of? They have a lot of like, boats. I'm just saying. <laughs> Double jeopardy. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like there was like, it seems like there was like an early death. I don't know. I, I, I mean, do they ever say? No, they, they don't. don't even say. They don't that's say what, what happened what to is. her father. It's like he never existed. And they they briefly mention his mother only to say like, well, after your mother, there was there the was next the woman I was with. Right. Well, I feel like that sort of fits with the fact that they just sort of write off certain emotional journeys. Like the, should I break up with my boyfriend or do I have to worry about my biological clock question? They right. just, I, I appreciate that though, because I just think it's, we can't tackle everything here. Oh no, totally. I just think that it's interesting how what happens is that we have this like fully female associated person and this fully male mm-hmm. associated person. Like they're not in any way like intimately associated with people of the opposite sex aside from each other. Like even their partners, they don't really have relationships with. <laughs> And they don't have parents of the opposite sex. So it's like she was, like, cloned by her mother. She exactly resembles her mother. She lives in her mother's life. And he lives his father and grandfather's life. Like, they're a unit. They travel around together. Yes. And so much of their individual journeys are based on how much am I shaped by my parents and their values and how much am I allowed to kind of travel away from those legacies. Yeah. So, like, ultimately, he has to sort of, like, reject some of the toxic masculinity of his heritage in order to, like, be soft enough and romantic enough to genuinely love someone. And she has to let go of her, like, you know, nurturing dream of introducing children to books one at a time, like her mother, in order to, like, be a little more ambitious and write a children's book, I guess, <laughs> like live a big life. <laughs> um, I think on that note, we should take a quick break and we'll be right back to really dive into themes. Can you keep up? I like love Springtime vibes are in the air. And when you bring in some of the beautiful flowers that are blooming, you probably want to smell the flowers, not the litter box. But thanks to Pretty Litter, you'll be able to smell those spring flowers all you want. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odors. It's ultra absorbent, it's lightweight, low dust, and one six-pound bag works for up to a month. 
Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illnesses in your cat. And if all of that wasn't enough, Pretty Litter ships free right to your door. You'll never run out. You won't have huge kitty litter bags taking up space. And even better, you won't have to lug those huge tubs from the store to your car or the subway and into your house. Our producer, Talon, has been using Pretty Litter and he just raves about how great it is, how easy it is to scoop how much better it smells. I mean, the health monitor aspect gives so much peace of mind. He's a big fan, and we know that you will be too. Go to prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com slash LTSI to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. prettylitter.com slash LTSI. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list, as they should, because it's very important. If that's you, then make this year the year you finally check it off your list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Wow, that is really fast. Their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning link Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. I personally used Babbel before I headed off to Paris for 3 weeks and it was so helpful just kind of giving me back the basic understanding of French, allowing me to interact with people in restaurants, in shops, and, you know, just not make a total fool of myself when in a foreign country. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash LTSI. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash LTSI. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash LTSI. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we are back. Let's start with just the romance of the seasons here. Because as you said, Sammy, this movie truly is a love letter to New York City and specifically the Upper West. And... There are so many markers. We start the movie in fall. We end in spring. And the holidays really, like, are the meat of the movie, which is why I I feel that this counts as a holiday, a holiday rom-com. Yeah. Oh, definitely, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. I think I'd always thought of it as a spring movie, purely based on the fact that it ends the in ending. the spring. And that's kind of like the image with the flowers. Mm-hmm. But rewatching it, like so much of it does happen around the holidays. I mean, the way that that Nora Ephron just like celebrates the seasons in New York, to me, that's like Nancy Myers with Kitchen Islands. Like she, she just loves yes. the seasonal signifiers. They are how she creates that like coziness in her movies through being like fall is leaves on the trees and pencils holidays are string lights never greens also it's like the passage of time is such an important it you know it obviously tells the story clearly not that deep of a thought but <laughs> i do think that 
you know, clearly she uses that for the setting. And um, another reason I think that we associate it with a holiday movie is that when we used to watch, when we didn't have everything on streaming and we couldn't just watch everything on demand, it used to be on a lot during the holidays. So like that sort of set the tone of like what is considered a holiday movie is like when that movie came out and when was it constantly being played on TV. So it's kind of, that's partly, partially why I associate with it. Associated right. with holidays. What is a holiday movie? It's a movie that you watch at the holidays. Like exactly. It doesn't have I mean, to be and yeah, it was it was also clearly intended feeling. that way. Yeah. Like it did, it was released mid-December 98. Like they sing Christmas carols in it. It's a holiday yes. movie. <laughs> the violin. Is yeah. that a Christmas carol? I don't know, but <laughs> it, it feels in my like mind, Christmas yes. carols. To be Definitely. clear, I'm a Jew, but um they <laughs> sing it during the Christmas holiday time. So in my mind, it's no, it's Christmas true. Song. Whenever people are gathered around a piano, playing the piano and singing songs together during Christmas, it's Christmas carols. It's just, that's what it is. Also, like that to me is always a crazy moment watching the movie where I'm just like, are we only 20 years removed from people playing the piano and singing together at parties rather than like, putting on a Spotify What playlist? millennial has a piano? <laughs> Let me... Like, I know. When does know. piano come in, like, your luxury goods buying? You know? <laughs> like, so, just... Who has a piano before age 30? I mean, I'm 34 and there's no piano in sight. I had one yeah. growing up, but, like... Also, like, that takes I can't up a play lot of room. Yeah. In an apartment, <laughs> I mean... I, look, yeah. even if I could play the piano, I couldn't fit a piano again speaking to these people's large and spacious apartments <laughs> and birdie is the only one we know of who's secretly just rich and works at a bookstore i love her fine <laughs> yeah she's a great like upper west side type of woman too yeah, yeah who would just like have a lot of money from unclear means but it's real and it's you know it's not shady and yeah um, and she just like had a lot of lovers yeah. and she just like has yeah she finds meaning in her community and still working and being around younger people like she's just a she's such a great she's such a great character uh, another major theme of this movie as we've touched on is is reading and books and the way that books shape shape your view on the world and their importance like Nora and Delia were both grew up as like very voracious readers and they especially loved children's literature and so that mutual love of children's lit and wanting to take it really seriously is kind of the the starting point of shop around the corner like for the Kathleen's shop around the corner um and I feel like that belief that like what you read as a child kind of shapes your worldview is really infused throughout the movie yeah. Absolutely true. I also feel like that's another reason why they, this was clearly their most like at home writing what they knew type of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I love it. It's I'm, also I'm kind all. of, I mean, we all grew up obviously as voracious readers as well. And we were, we were book we fair were, children. We were, book we were book fair age <laughs> when this movie came out. Like I yes. saw books in that shop that I have in my childhood bedroom, like the um, same editions. Okay. Well, I was we like, I am a about... child at the shop around the corner. <laughs> there Thanks. is that gorgeous scene where Kathleen's store closes and then she goes and sees the like 
salesperson who's unable to identify the children's books in Fox Books in the children's department. And she's crying, talking about dancing shoes and theater shoes. And I was like, I had all of those books. I had all of them. I loved them. Those were formative books. I mean, when I was younger, like going to the bookstore was an activity activity. for my life. Like it was what that's that was my favorite thing. Like I wanted for Hanukkah, I wanted just a lot of books. You know, yeah. the Babysitters Club particularly. Oh, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. No, we uh, we we would go, we would go to the library, um, but then you, we would get you maybe you would get like a Barnes and Noble gift card for your birthday, and then the next time you went, you could buy like three hardcover books. And you're just like, oh my God, this is luxury. This is living. Like, I'm going to get the new Gail Carson Levine. Like, this is incredible. Um, But like, I grew up with big book, big box bookstores. Like, those were the bookstores. We had like a Borders on one side of the street and a Barnes and Noble on the other. Oh my God, it was the flower district of books. And eventually (laughs) the Borders closed. But, um, But yeah, so like this image of Kathleen as like the consummate children's book saleswoman is something that I never really experienced because that is kind of what a Barnes Noble is like. Like no one's helping you. You just would go in and be like this book that's sitting on the shelf. It So it the person I associate it more with is my mom, like that, that sort of mm-hmm. like nurturing female figure who like introduces you to the books that you know yeah. she'll love. And so I think that this movie has such like a beautiful, although it, like you said, Sam, it's not like the center of the movie, her, like, other emotional quests, like, it does have this beautiful insight into, like, that mother-daughter relationship, even though her mother is absent. Like, that kind of sensibility feels very infused throughout it. Yeah, and it does feel like she's meant to have this kind of non-parental maternal relationship with all of the children that come through her store, which is also a really cool thing that occurs to me now that didn't occur to me when I was a kid watching this. Just like this woman, I I read her as like in her 30s. She she doesn't have children. And yet she is this adult who's playing this really important role in the lives of a lot of kids. And I just, I love that representation. Yeah. We know she's over 30 right. because where did she and Joe Fox meet? Right. In the over 30 chat In the room. over 30. Yeah. <laughs> room <laughs> right and it's the fact that that isn't even like a question that she's like oh should i need more like that's what i think i always really liked why i connected to it because it wasn't this like oh i need to be worrying about this other thing i don't have and meaning like her own children and like her own family and like and i think that just not even having that be a factor was so relieving to me in in a way. It's interesting because she has almost like a male approach toward it in this way Mm -hmm. where she's like, one day I'll pass it on to my daughter. I don't have one. Yeah, exactly. Not not top of mind, but like I'll have a daughter one day. Right, (laughs) Which raises a lot of questions. Like, do you understand how children are made and that you can't pick whether it's a daughter or a son, for example. But like, yeah, it's, it's not that she's like, this is the path I've chosen. She's just like, I'm not consumed with how that part of my life is going to turn out. It's just an option for me. And just that, yeah, that she can like pass on what she got from her mother in many different ways. Like maybe it would be to to a daughter or maybe it would just be to like the children that come through her bookstore. And like both of those things are kind of are painted as valuable. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. Also like the introduction of Pride and Prejudice 
mm-hmm. it's like deeper than just like a reference. Like it's also that they are pride. They they are Lizzie and Mr. Darcy. Yes. It's sort of crossbred with Shop Around the Corner. Like there are elements introduced of Pride and Prejudice to sort of update it in a way to to make them have another reason for their antagonism other than like she was trying to flirt with him and she did a bad <laughs> job. It's like, oh, they they like had these reasons to sort of clash and dislike each other. And then they just held on to those things in this sort of Pride and Prejudice template way. Um, also, like they have similar class positions to the Pride and Prejudice characters. Like they're both business owners and he's like the really wealthy, successful one. And she's like a minor, minor gentry of business owners. So the That's parallels are striking. Yeah. Whereas in Shop Around the Corner, their class positions are much more comparable. Yeah. Just They're going back to the age thing you were saying a second ago and how like Tom Hanks was hot for the time sort of reminded <laughs> me, just brought me back to a comment. I think it was... uh what's her name, the girlfriend who made it, that she was always really fascinated that Julius and Ethel Rosenberg were oh. so old, but <laughs> yeah, really they yeah. were just our age. They were just our age. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows you how the, you know, attractiveness really evolves, I guess, over time. They made that point within the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's another fantastic. And you're just like, what conversation did Delia and Nora once have about Julius and Ethel Rosenberg that like brought this line? <laughs> that being? right. That's one of those lines where you're like, oh, they said that in real life, and it's like, it's, it's yeah. stuck. Or someone said it to them. Yeah, I love that so. idea of like you having this constellation of thoughts, and you're like, obviously, some of these thoughts are so dumb that they should go to the dumb villain. But it was my thought originally. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just gonna sort them out by how smart and cool they sound. Um, should we talk about the promise and peril of technology before we get into the class question, which I know we're all dying to do? Oh my God. We, I mean, this movie is so of its time because of its relationship to computers and to the internet. There was dial up. If you had email, it was going to be AOL email. (laughs) You were going to hear you've got mail when you signed on. Like, these markers just simply don't exist. Like, our the internet we reside in is so unrecognizable and seems feels like so much darker than it did at that point. Yeah, it's a very optimistic view. Yeah, you're like, no Elon Musk in sight. <laughs> well, it was like, you used to be able to compartmentalize your like online time. Right. Um, where it was like a thing you did, like going to the gym, I'm going online. Um, and now it's actually this demand that you are attached to your phone and like always available to answer people. And if you like didn't have your phone, you would just be lost, you know? I think once texting became a thing, that's when it was really all over. Because if, at least with chatting, Online, you could put up an away message or like you're just not online. There's no way to indicate someone like I'm not open for texting right now. <laughs> you could you do not me, disturb, but it's like, but it's like not the same. It's not the same. Like, And also it's like, okay, yeah, yeah. You put on do not disturb, but like you're going to see my message because you have your phone with you all the time. Right. So like you still have to respond. There's just this expectation of immediacy that I like to fight back against by never responding to texts when I receive them, <laughs> which I'm sure is lovely for people. Um, 
I think it's interesting that Frank, to me, like, has kind of arisen as the most relatable person (laughs) from this movie in a lot of ways. Like, he's the only one who has any sort of accurate sense of what the rise of computers is going to mean for people. (laughs) Like, he's like, you think that thing's your friend, but it's not your friend. Like, you, you don't know those people out there. Like, they're not real. Like, he he understands that like computers are like alienating people from their own lives and like their own communities and putting them into this like uncharted space that's actually very dangerous and but it's like no sorry keep going no 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 keep going but does he understand it because like he doesn't like it that's yeah. like, yes, I completely agree with you. And I think it's really interesting that he's the one who's right. But it feels like his resistance to it is is more about like his own irrelevant, like fear of his own oh, irrelevance. Absolutely. Than it is about like the actual harm it's going to do. Well, but like what difference is there between irrelevance and harm? Like, I think that the- his irrelevance. Well, right. But like that matters. Versus like broader to him. harm. I think versus that- like. But I think that, like, your own irrelevance also can go along with a lot of other people's irrelevance. Like, he he always is bringing up the Luddites. He wants to write a book about the Luddites. He's like, something really relevant for today. I'm like, actually, it was kind of relevant. And you know what? The Luddites got a bad rap. Like, they wanted to smash the factory equipment that was replacing their handwork because they knew that it was a threat to their livelihoods. And you know what? It was. And, like, it's only continuing in that direction, like, people being replaced by machines. So, like, were the Luddites wrong? Is Frank wrong to see the computers as posing a similar threat to also, like, Joe doesn't even realize the computers are going to be a threat to him, but they are. The Luddites That's the delicious irony of it all. (laughs) Well, the Luddites, if they had had been... if they had been acting in as self-interest, in as much self-interest as someone like Joe Fox, who's just like, I don't care, then they would have, you know, been successful, like, at, stu- you know, I don't know. And then the, <laughs> I guess the question is, like, you can't stop progress because there's always going to be someone who's just going to keep trying. Well, that is, like, yeah. the theory of the movie, right? And it's, like, the the idea behind, like, neoliberalism and capitalism and all these things but i think that like a lot of people today are are questioning whether we should just embrace progress because it's inevitable or whether we should think more about the consequences of you know of creating these forms of progress without really thinking through all of the impacts including the negative ones it's going to have on people it's like oh Joe, you're going to meet the most wonderful woman you've ever met. And then in 10 years, Amazon is going to put you out of business. You know, like, do you take that deal? Frank would say no. And Joe is like, yes, I will take the deal. Honestly, Joe will probably be fine either way. I was going to say, Joe's going to fucking thrive. He's going to get stock at Amazon. Joe's going to be so rich. Joe's going to be so rich both ways. I would take the deal. I would well, definitely that is, take the deal. That is the thing, right? Like if you are wealthy enough, you're completely insulated by from a lot of the harm that these things cause, which is why it's a lot easier to feel progress as an inevitability and embrace the things that are positive. Like I, I think that Frank's cynicism is correct in a lot of ways, but he also has 
a hard time figuring out how to like mobilize people in a way that would be effective or like, right? Like actually try. And I think that that is a difference that we see now where it's like, how do we contend with the harm that technology can do and and position it outside of just like ourselves? Whereas I think that's what you were kind of getting at, Sammy, is that like Frank's entire worldview is tied to his own like personal self-importance and ability to kind of lord his morality over other people. Which is why he and likes like, TV as long as he's on it making exactly. witty, and witty he'll, comments. And he'll date that hot Republican because like she complimented him right. and yep. said his writing's really good. So it's like his, his uh, you know, values only, only reach so far. That's true. <laughs> right. Well, too. it's like people, you can really make an <laughs> argument for both. You can always yeah. make an argument for either thing. But the argument yes. that someone decides upon is probably going to be the one that advances themselves or, like, whatever <laughs> group they're a part of. So, I mean, and then, I mean, if you want to get into, like, the capitalism of it, of it all, that's, like, the whole – that's kind yes. of, like, the – you know what? I think yeah. we should. I think we should get into class and capitalism because, as we said, like, you've got mail takes the shop around the corner story, which is, like, essentially about – two somewhat equal members of the working class who are both kind of striving and turns it into this story of like two embattled capitalists, but one's a corporate capitalist and one is a small business capitalist. She's on Main Street, okay? (laughs) Are you a capitalist if you're just like running a normal small business that's just kind of like a puzzle piece of like a functioning economy before we got into what we have now? I'm talking about like, in a in a more uh, flat economy, people exchanging goods and services is not like that crazy or evil of a concept. Yeah, she's she's not you know? like well, she's not a, a capitalist in the sense that she is like she's not a robber baron. She's she's, she's not, not trying baron. to hoard unlimited <laughs> resources. That's like I yeah I she's just trying I think just, that that is true. I mean, without a capitalist system, how is everyone getting stuff? You know what I mean? Like you have to, on some level, for us to like. And like, be that's a question for another podcast. I, I also feel like we don't okay, have time obviously to get it. We are set. <laughs> this movie is set in the United States of America. It's a capitalist society. Yeah, but we have gone from like uh, you know, Modicek and Company is a store owned by a shop owner. He owns one shop, and he is presented as like a boss. He is above them. He makes money from the store. He lives well. They don't. They're dependent on him for raises. He can fire them at a whim. And instead, the main characters are now the business owners. Like, Kathleen is a good business owner, right? Like, they all love her. She's a benevolent. Okay. It's interesting because it's like, how did she even get this far when, well, I guess she had like the, you know, legacy goodwill when it's like she she closes the business after. How did it even lose so much? I'm still stuck on this. <laughs> no, I like, yeah, like, so I don't under, she has no business shark instinct. She's not a good businesswoman. She, she I think we're meant to man. believe she, she really is just like, this is a legacy business. Her mother set it up. So it was a well-oiled machine. And Kathleen really loves her mother. She plays. And like that love, that love is what has kept Shop Around the Corner going. Who needs business sense when you have love? Right. Okay. Saves Harry Potter. So, you know, <laughs> it's like, um, it's like, okay, she has these three employees, but presumably they're being paid well and treated well and like things are good in the like, you know, good capitalism. But she isn't like a business, she's not a ruthless business owner. No. You know? 
She's not, you know, her employees, again, she has like three full-time employees who, as far as we can tell, are well compensated. You know, they provide a wonderful service to the community, story hour, wonderful books that everyone wants. Introducing children to a lifelong love of literature. Joe and his dad and grandfather are sharks. Like, they are robber barons. They literally, like, celebrate and make pew-pew noises when (laughs) indie bookstores close. Like, it's just a caricature of what we think Barnes & Noble executives would be up to. Her mother was enchanting. (laughs) We're gonna cry. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, it almost makes it seem like their goal is actually to shut down the other businesses and making money is just sort of secondary. (laughs) They're retail. This is a market share question. They want want a monopoly. They can't even go on the internet. Like, there's no other option. It's like you're going into this store or that store. So it's like, you know. Yeah, those were the days, man. Those were the days when Barnes & Noble thrived. (laughs) And, I mean, even... Joe does like romanticize it a little bit. Like he does, his dad is like, don't romanticize them. He's like, they're readers. They're not just customers. What did he say? Like pseudo intellectual. <laughs> like <laughs> he says like, oh, we offer a piazza. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a free-ish public space. And I think that when like Barnes and Noble started to close in the city, people did feel oh, this. for sure. 100%. Barnes and Noble was like a place that, I mean, because I was not living in the city when there were shops around the corner, (laughs) figuratively. Yeah, Barnes & Noble was a place where I went to, like, sit and be at peace. So, you know, thanks, Amazon. I mean, yeah, I I used to hang out at at Borders as a kid and then Barnes & Nobles. And, like, you would sit, you could have a coffee and you could, like, sit and read a magazine and no one would, like, interrupt you and... Like as a teenager, I mean, it, it's there oh, is yeah. certainly some truth to Barnes that. Barnes and Noble was open later than any non-bar establishment, like in yeah. my hometown. So if you want to go out with your friends, you go to Barnes and Noble, you get yes. a cappuccino, and you read the back covers of romance novels. And it was exactly. like <laughs> it was like the place where teenagers could go to not get themselves in trouble. Yeah. Well, clearly, yeah. Clearly, I was not going to places where you got yourself in trouble. <laughs> no, but th- that's yeah. like a, that serves a community function okay I it does depending barnes and noble and now, like but. honestly <laughs> it does serve a slightly different function from an indie bookstore which there have always been any bookstores in new york i always try to go to them but i don't go to them to just like hang out for two hours right they're it small would be weird if you like stood in the strand and just like took up space the strand for- is like the closest you could get to that probably because it's pretty big but you go to like you know even books so. are one are magic, or you you know you go to books of wonder or word bookstore. You know Shakespeare and Company in the city actually yeah. is actually like that, but it doesn't have that like feeling where you're like anonymous and like can get lost amongst the shelves. That is the flip and, like, side of offering so much service and intimacy is that sometimes you're like I just actually don't want I it. Be I want to be left alone <laughs> in my superstore. Thank in my superstore. <laughs> Oh my God! I'm not going to do that Fox at the Book Kmart superstore stands. It turns out <laughs> the okay. truth is um, there was Barnes and like now I know we're thinking about it from the like oh you know eat the rich standpoint, but it's like what is so bad about like a really big company that provides something that people like? You know, what ultimately what Joe was saying that's like, the question. We're of all the movie. sitting here, but like. Can't there be room for both? Like, can't there be room for... That's why I'm still so stuck on, like, why did she close this business? Because I don't believe that her business had to go out of business because there's literally 
on my block in New York City that I just moved away from, there was a tiny little bookstore around the corner on like York. And it's like, why does that business still exist? Which has clearly been there for decades. Well, I'm going to say two things. A lot of bookstores did close during the big box bookstore era. A lot. Like it was like a considered like a crisis. And I remember when that was happening. But when Amazon came along, that started to change because, you know, Barnes & Noble didn't really offer anything to people in terms of buying books that Amazon didn't. Like, I don't think that it had that emotional uh, connection for people. Like, and they're like, I can get an even bigger discount at Amazon, right? Like, why am I going to go Right, if I'm going for the discounts. And once it becomes a place where you just go to hang out instead of buying the cheap books, because you can get them even cheaper on Amazon, then you have the Barnes & Nobles that start to feel like free public bathrooms. And what happens is that instead people start to be like, if I am going to go in person and buy a book, I'd like to go to an indie bookstore because that's like cooler and like offers more to the community and they have like interesting events and like it feels personal and so there has been like this resurgence of indie bookstores and so yeah there are some stores that survived it but also like indie bookstores are like doing better now than they were (laughs) probably at the time it's it's such it's so funny to (sighs) but i feel look i again i feel like we just made the case for barnes and noble you know, well, there is it's still one in Times Square, so it's complicated. It, it is, it's complicated. It's complicated. Like, uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't I like know. buying my books on Amazon unless it's a Kindle book. I I don't I don't either, and I usually buy them from my local indie bookstore. And sometimes they have to order them, and I have to wait for them to come in for like two days. But I would actually also have to wait for that if I bought them from Amazon. So it feels like a pretty good setup. Um, but I think that like. While there are these sort of advantages to Fox Books, what's interesting, I think that the resistance is that the movie, like, gets behind that in the end. It's like, no, he is good. And, like, Fox Books is good. And he did put her out of business. But, like, who cares, honestly? She, she chose she to go out of gets, business. I stand by this. She I feel like the movie is, it sort of reflects Nora Ephron and Delia Ephron's, like, am almost ambivalence about what's going on. Like they, it's not good. I don't necessarily think that it's like Fox books is good is the conclusion mm-hmm. or what Joe did was good, but it's more like it's Fox okay. books was no, was an inevitability. Yeah. And so like, as people who live in an ever changing city and our lives are ever changing with technology that is inevitably going to be like popping up around us, we we have to learn to kind of move move with it. Like we can rage against it. And then when we are defeated, we like admit defeat and we like figure out a way to like take the things we loved. And I feel like that's actually fundamentally the worldview, like less a co-signing and more a, a like, well, it's going to happen. So what do we do with it? We steer into the skid. <laughs> I, I also just think it's like this, this was sort of the last time that you really would be making this argument. Maybe like the next year. I mean, like the economic context of the U.S. is so key to this ability to kind of be like, yeah, these people are all kind of good and this is like cute and cheeky because it was 98. The economy was booming. Like 
In the decade that followed this movie coming out, we had the bursting of the dot-com bubble. We had 9-11. We had wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, the 2008 recession. Like, that was the next 10 years. And I think that this movie, like, kind of could only have existed in 1998. Yeah, I feel like it really caught the apex of really everything. Like, could um, you know holiday season of that year. And it's, I don't even think it's a question of like good or bad. Obviously like Fox books is like the big bad villain, but at the end, like, I think what they're saying, like you said, is like, there's just more nuance to it. And it's like, he was bad when he was the asshole who wasn't like in a nice relationship with her and hadn't like kind of come around to like being a deeper, kinder guy. But then at the end, he's not so bad. And what he's doing is doesn't seem so bad because he has become a more compassionate. Right. This is a personal you know. journey. And we sort of leave the societal part. We chalk that up to like inevitability. And like the journey that Joe has to go on is a personal one. And I feel like that actually leads us perfectly into this question of like, does Joe just kind of suck? Um, because honestly, I don't think he's like written deeply enough to, to know (laughs) that's really the truth. Like, I kind of think that this movie and this is not like a criticism of it. I think like kind of the beauty of it is that like, he's not new, he's not nuanced enough to the audience to really be sure if he like just improves because he likes her, you know, I think the things he, he does like, kind of objectively, I'm like, he, if you think about it, if I think about it too hard, I'm like, yeah, like, he kind of sucks. Like, he is this, like, big corporate guy. He puts her beloved store out of business. He lies to her. He manipulates her. He, like, he, like, comes up to her apartment when she says, please do not come up here. Do not come into my home. Like, yeah. just, he insults he her. Like, all yeah. of these things. And yet, because it's Tom Hanks... And we have such associations with Tom Hanks, the way it's written and the fact that he is so much positioned as like just a product of his family and his circumstances. And that like there is some like inner soul of his or like the the genuine Joe Fox has been kind of beaten down by his circumstances um, and like the family he grew up in. And Megan Garper wrote a great piece in 2018 for The Atlantic. And she wrote, The film evades its own overarching problem primarily by insisting that its male lead is, in fact, actually underneath it all a good guy. Here is the film's primary argument that Joe deserves Kathleen. Kathleen, who is smart and who is kind and who looks like Meg Ryan. Joe, it insists, simply can't help his own jerkiness. He can't be blamed for any of it because he is a product of forces beyond his control. And I think that that's true. That's I think she was just trying to write him as like redeemable. Yeah. Yeah. At well, the exactly. end of it. Like regardless of like, yeah, he is meant to suck. He's the the bad guy who she falls in love with and then he's redeemed. But here's the big problem. The movie ends before they really discuss the whole thing where he knew that it was her. <laughs> right. And was like playing both sides of it. Like, does she know that when she sees him? Yeah, I, mean, or, she, I think like, she, knows she knows it for sure. Are they going to have a conversation would, about that? Like, it seems I like the kind of thing so. that in a different movie <laughs> might actually 
lead them to have a huge fight that's like you yeah, lied you'd to be me, like, wait, you manipulated what me. What the fuck? <laughs> if someone posted this in like an am I the asshole post, like this guy did this for me and I got <laughs> mad, I'd be like, don't just get mad, get a restraining order. Like move away. But that is like his big romantic gesture. And that is like the incredible thing that we are able to like just absorb that because of how well the movie works as a whole, that you're not just right. uh, We absorbed a lot of things, (laughs) I think, in the 90s, 2000s. We just kind of absorbed a lot of really dysfunctional stuff and kind of, like, let it go. Yeah. But this is, uh, yeah, I think it kind of goes in that category. Yeah. This is, like, the stuff that led people to think that, like, if you act like a guy in a rom-com, you'll get arrested. Like, that's just a truism. Because all the guys in the 90s in rom-coms were just, like, acting. Wildly stalking. Wild. Yeah. Um, And yes, we did think it was romantic, and I still do. (laughs) And also, it's stalking and not okay. Um, Yeah. I, I think that, like, another thing is that speaking to Joe being hot at the time, I guess. Something that I look for in a romantic comedy now is, like, some sizzle. And I watched this twice, and I was like, I don't care if they make out. And, like, it just never bothered me once. I was never like, why don't I want them to make out more? You just don't need it. There's so much other stuff going on. It's, like, a more complex chemistry. Yeah. Than it is, like, purely sexual like yeah. there's nothing sexual about it i don't think there's a single <laughs> it's it's such no a cerebral connection i mean movie. it is a yeah. words movie this is a movie by people who love words for people who love words making the case for the power of words to literally transform like that is the the core of this entire movie and so i think that that probably speaks to why you didn't care claire <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> It's like, yeah, they're in love. So, like, I always found that kiss at the end to be, like, I always would cry at the end of this movie and still do because it just, it's like, it's just, it's powerful in as much as you're like, ah, the release of, like, knowing, the release of her getting this information and realizing and putting it all together and, like, the fact that she really loves him. And then you're like, yeah, the kiss signals all of that. But yeah. I'm not like, yeah, I need to see them alone. <laughs> like, that's what we need. There's no. zero nudity or any suggestion of skin at all. And I didn't even occur- she's like, it didn't even occur to me until just now. She's like in a full, like, full cardigan and like very conservative. For the for the Elizabeth Warren uh, lovers. Y- yeah. <laughs> yes. Also at the romantic uh, scene when they meet up, he's wearing like a a, pol- a tucked in polo shirt or something, which is like what my dad wore throughout my childhood. And like, it's well, just Tom Hanks is all of our dads, yeah, kind of like that's the dads. vibe. It's like, this is my dad on a date, I guess. <laughs> Steamy. Um, yeah, no, I cried at the end too, both times that I rewatched it. I actually hadn't seen the whole thing through in years because I normally just catch it on cable, like catch a big chunk of it. Oh my God, I very recently watched this entire movie through with my family because we um, discovered that my sister-in-law had never seen it. (gasps) And I was like horrified, as was my brother, um, who became a lover of rom-coms because he grew up with me as an older (laughs) sister and with my mom. So um, we were like, we're sitting down tonight and we're doing double features, Sleepless in Seattle, straight into You've Got Mail. And we did. And it was amazing. That sounds incredible. (laughs) 
I'm so jealous. Wish I were there. I'd like to to close out this wonderful conversation just with a quote from one of the producers of this movie, Diane Dreyer, that she gave to Vanity Fair in 2015. They did a little retrospective. And she said, one of the things that Nora's trying to say in this movie is that there are lots of ways to fall in love. And when you fall in love with someone, you want to fall in love with them truly. Because she loved words so much, she made it very clear that you could actually fall in love, even online to some extent, through revealing who you are by what you say and how you say it, and in your bravery in saying it and saying to that it to that other person. Write the letter. If it tells you anything, it says, write the letter, use your voice. And I just thought that was really lovely. Yeah. Fall in love online. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> Do it. Get into those chat rooms, kids. It's really normalized <laughs> online dating, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? Now we don't know another way of dating. Like, that's just dating now. Like, people probably watch the movie for the first time now, like Zoomers, and are just like, so why would this be weird? They're just dating. It's just normal. <laughs> well, it's also just like, where are you going to get a business rival to fall in love with? That doesn't come <laughs> along every day. And you're like, you think I have a business? Like, yeah. um, <laughs> Sorry, I need to get I need to get a loan for this store. I know we actually yeah. need to go back and do a remake of You've Got Mail that puts them back as shop clerks, but like embattled gig workers who like are working yes. fifteen different like small gigs <laughs> and can never afford a piano. <laughs> yeah, like one of them is like absolutely like a Lyft or Uber driver at least. Yeah. Okay. I, I love this vision for us. Um, Sammy, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Oh my gosh. No, I don't. I feel like that's <laughs> anticlimactic. Should I have some? Let me think. Um, we did say everything, we to said be fair. So much. I think I've said every single thing in my brain about this movie. Um, <laughs> and that's how we like it. Yeah. Can you tell the people where they can find you and the rest of your brilliant work? Oh, thank you. You can find me on Instagram at Sammy on Twitter or can't move Twitter TikTok at Sammy Sage says. And I do the morning announcements every single morning. It's a five-minute news podcast where I basically summarize all the headlines and then add some snarky liberal content. It's biased. <laughs> so just know what you're getting. But I don't think anyone who is listening to this is gonna mind that. So um yeah, especially not after our little, you know, anti-capitalist chats. But <laughs> it was mixed yeah. on capitalism, I think, yeah. in the end. You know, I got to defend <laughs> it in this context. Um, That's like the magic of You've Got Mail. It makes you love capitalism. You're just like, it <laughs> is actually beautiful and romantic <laughs> in a way. And because of capitalism, she gets to write a children's book. And George gets to run the children's book department at Fox Books. And I'm sure he'll never lose that job. And it's just going to go really well for him. You know, our other cardigan heroine, Elizabeth Warren, also <laughs> believes in capitalism, mm -hmm. just un just bridled capitalism, you could say. Much more bridled than way more than, bridled than capitalism exists. of the late yeah. 90s, I would yeah, think. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this was truly such a delight. Sammy, thank you so much for joining us. And on that note, that is it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our guest, Sammy Sage. Love to see it is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Tamika Weatherspoon. Our theme music is by Tamar Habib and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. 
If you like our show, of course, do all the things that you do with the show you love. Follow us, rate us five stars, leave us a review, and spread the word to all your friends. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at claireandemmapod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at love to see it pod and Instagram at Claire and Emma pod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at claireandemma.substack.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Claire E. Fallon. And I'm at Emma Lady Rose. We'll be back next week with another holiday romantic movie, The Best Man Holiday, with a guest that we are very excited about and think that you will be too. Stitcher. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night. And building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for. Trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.